Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Friday, April 14th, and this is your FT News Briefing. BP has fired up a massive new crude oil platform in the Gulf of Mexico. Global equities have bounced back from the banking crisis, but is it for real? We're in this kind of dreamy netherworld where, you know, equity valuations still don't make sense. And at some point, something's got to go snap. Plus, the artificial intelligence chatbot ChatGPT keeps getting smarter and more dangerous. I'm Sonia Hudson, in for Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. Oil giant BP yesterday started pumping crude oil through a new $9 billion offshore platform in the U.S. Gulf of Mexico. It's the first one the company has opened in the region since the disastrous Deepwater Horizon explosion 13 years ago. And it's a sign of BP's decision to slow down its transition away from fossil fuels. Here's our Houston correspondent, Justin Jacobs. Yeah, so this project has been in the works for a number of years at BP, but it comes at a really consequential moment for the company because what we're seeing here is a real evidence of the shift in the conversation around energy security and climate change in the aftermath of of the war in Ukraine. And so for a company like BP, you know, that has meant in the short run, there's a lot more focus on producing fossil fuels than investing in in clean energy, which it is still doing, but it has certainly shifted the balance between those two. Justin Jacobs is the FT's Houston correspondent. Global equities have bounced back to the levels they were before banking turmoil roiled markets in March. To find out whether all that volatility is really in the review mirror, I'm joined now by the FT's markets editor, Katie Martin. Hey, Katie. Hey, how you doing? Doing good. So let's start with the good news. Markets seem calmer. Um, They seem to have calmed down since all the volatility following the failure of Silicon Valley Bank and Credit Suisse and other lenders. Are you breathing easier now? I am breathing easier, yes. That was quite a moment that we had sort of in the sort of early part of, of March. There was this whole flurry of bank failures on both sides of the Atlantic, and it just gave everyone these kind of horrible flashbacks to 2008. And people thought, oh, God, is this the big one? Is it coming back? It looks like, no. I mean, if you look at a chart of global stocks or of U.S. stocks, um, it's like, you know, banking crisis, what banking crisis? The obvious question is whether this is some sort of horrible calm before the storm. And literally every investor that I speak to, large or small, is super alert to the risks here and is very worried that the pattern that we saw in 2008, and look, 2023 doesn't look like 2008, but... We all thought that the crisis was over in 2008 when when JP Morgan bought Bear Stearns and it took weeks for, you know, for, for markets to really unravel and for, for Lehman to happen. So people are just very alert to the fact that they feel like they've seen this movie before and that it can all go horribly wrong. But right now, the markets are telling you no need to panic. Mm-hmm. So... What are investors worrying about? Um, what could potentially be the other shoe that drops? 
multiple shoes. How many shoes can you wear at once? They can all fall. <laughs> off. They can all fall off at once. Inflation that remains the number one kind of preoccupation of investors globally. But there's a good number of of second round effects, if you like, that can still come out of the U.S. regional banking crisis. It makes you think, well you know, in the long run, what's this going to mean for smaller businesses, for example? Are they going to have to shed some jobs? Are they going to have to cut back on investments that they were going to make if they're not able to get hold of money as readily as they previously were because their lender either doesn't exist anymore or their lender that does still exist has suddenly decided to really tighten up lending standards. So this is definitely a big risk that's hanging over the the US economy and therefore over markets. So going back to inflation, how much of a risk is that right now? Inflation continues to pull back. Um, But again, you know, investors are humble and they know that they've got inflation very, very wrong before and they're not necessarily prepared to call the the all clear on this now. And and one potential risk for, for, for equity investors is that one of the reasons why equities like the stock markets have done pretty well since the US regional banks all got themselves into trouble is precisely because the bond market at the time, the US government bond market in particular, went absolutely bonkers around the time that these these banks failed. They started pricing in a huge number of interest rate cuts or, you know, at the very least, an immediate pause to interest rate rises. If that has been an overreaction and my my guess is it has been, and it's going to unravel, then will that pull equities back down with it again too? So that is definitely another thing that analysts are starting to talk about, that, you know, we're in this kind of dreamy netherworld where, you know, the equity valuations still don't make sense, and at some point something's got to go snap. Katie Martin is the FT's markets editor. Thanks, Katie. Pleasure. The newest version of the artificial intelligence chatbot ChatGPT is so powerful, it's creating new fears about how it can be used. So the company behind it has tried to counter those concerns by creating a team of experts to test out what the chatbot can do. The FT's artificial intelligence editor, Madhumita Mergia, has been reporting on OpenAI's Red Team. She joins me now. Hi, Madhu. Hi. Can you tell me a little bit about this team that OpenAI put together to look into dangerous uses for ChatGPT4? So I spent quite a long time reporting this piece that we have out on the the red team, um, which is essentially a term for people who test out something in advance of it being released. But what they're really trying to do is break it. So they're trying to push it to its limits, see all the bad things that it could say by asking it lots of different types of questions in their areas of expertise. And they were a really eclectic bunch. So there was a writing teacher at a community college. There was a chemist you know, who worked on designing drugs, all these different types of people who look at safety in different aspects. And, um, you know, they all were really worried by, by when they tested GPT-4 out, the kind of outputs they were seeing. But now that chat GPT-4 is out in the real world, how do they feel about it? Do they feel like the company addressed the concerns that they had? So I think now that it's out in the real world, they continue to be concerned because while some of the 
some of what they fed back was taken on board and improved um, in the final version of GPT-4. They feel that there's lots of ways in which you can still elicit harmful responses, whether that's biased responses, discriminatory towards certain, you know, marginalized groups or genders. There's ways in which you can elicit how-tos for cyber crimes. The chemist that I spoke to, Andrew White, was really concerned because he managed to find a way to get GPT to not only suggest an entirely new type of chemical that could be harmful to human health, but he got it to find where he could order it from on the internet as well. So what makes this newest version of ChatGPT more concerning than previous versions? So I don't think it's necessarily more nefarious. It's just better, right? It's more powerful. And all of the people I interviewed for my piece had tested both versions. And they just found that, you know, GPT-4 was capable of more nuance. So the real difference is that it's a larger model. It's a more powerful model. And along with that, that means it has more sort of misuses that come with it as well. Madhu, what's your takeaway here? How worried should we be about what ChatGPT-4 can do? So having spoken to quite a lot of people who've been thinking about the the downsides, uh, I have come away concerned about how these this tool could be exploited. There's a whole community of people out there, you know, the open source community of coders and developers who are kind of breaking open models like GPT-4 and adapting it and changing it and, you know, connecting it to the internet, for example, um, and allowing it to perform autonomous actions, kind of breaking it open from the box that it currently sits in. And that really reduces our human oversight of of these types of technologies. And then we don't really know what it is they're doing or who they're communicating with. And that's what we need to worry about. That's already happening. Madhumita Mergia is the FT's Artificial Intelligence Editor. Thanks, Madhu. Thank you. You can read more on all these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Hi, this is Janice Torres from Yo Quiero Dinero. If you own or operate a business, whether it's a local operation or a global corporation, partnering with Bank of America could be your smartest move. By teaming with Bank of America, you'll enjoy exclusive digital tools, award-winning insights, and business solutions so powerful, you'll make every move matter. Position your business to capitalize on opportunity in a moment's notice. Visit bankofamerica.com slash bankingforbusiness to learn more. What would you like the power to do? Bank of America N.A. Copyright 2024.